Church, after a, a two-week break, and after Noel and Kirk have ministered the word with such excellence, this morning we'll continue with our series, Preaching the Kingdom. Together we've been journeying through the Sermon on the Mount preached by Jesus in Matthews chapter 5, 6, and 7, in what is the longest recorded sermon delivered by Jesus, and probably, and I would say, the most amazing sermon that has ever been preached. And you know, church, this is probably not the only time that Jesus delivered this important message. Because as Jesus performed his ministry on the earth, and as he traveled around the region of Galilee and spoke to people, especially his closest followers about the kingdom of God and the nature of that kingdom, he would have preached this message, or at least themes from this message, a number of times. And we know this, church, because Jesus' main thrust in his ministry on earth was the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was the centerpiece of Jesus' teaching. So in the beginning of this mountain of a sermon, he starts off by talking about the character of kingdom people. The character of his disciples in that section that we call the Beatitudes. He then tells us about how we should be the salt and light in this world. And then there's an extended section where Jesus is correcting the misunderstandings about the law of God, how it was incorrectly understood, taught, and applied in his day, and what was and what still is the right teaching from the Son of God himself the son who actually came to fulfill the law. He talks to us about rightly understanding the law regarding murder, rightly understanding the law regarding adultery, temptation, marriage and divorce. And then at the end of chapter 5, he gives us important principles on how we are to relate to others in the way that we conduct ourselves, right? That our word, our yes, should be our yes, and our no should be our no. He speaks to us about keeping our word. He also talks to us about turning the other cheek when people throw insults at us. And despite what we face as Christians, whether we get persecuted or people persecuted for what, us for what we believe in, he tells us that we need to love our enemies. Jesus explains all of that in chapter 5. And now starting in chapter 6, we come to a section where Jesus is going to speak about spiritual disciplines and how we should go about performing them. And specifically, church is going to talk about giving, praying, and fasting. Giving, praying, and fasting. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at each of those sections, where Jesus speaks about the right way to give, the right way to pray, and the right way to fast. But before we get into the first one this morning, which is the right way to give, I just want to draw some quick comparisons for you. In the first half of chapter 6, which we'll begin to read today and break down, and over the next few weeks, Jesus introduces us to what you could call three spiritual disciplines of the Christian faith. And these aren't the only spiritual disciplines throughout the Bible, but these are the ones that Jesus points out in the Sermon on the Mount. Three spiritual disciplines of the Christian faith. Now, I want to say from the get-go, don't let that phrase, spiritual disciplines, scare you off. Because by way of definition, spiritual disciplines are simply habits or practices 
that are designed to develop and strengthen your spirit and to build the muscles of your character as a follower of Christ. Right? So that's the motivation. And church, what I want you to see here is that when Jesus speaks about giving, praying, and fasting, is that there are three things that he says each of these disciplines have in common. Let me show you what I mean. The first one is that Jesus assumes that we are already doing these things. Because in verses 2, 5, and 16, when he talks about giving, praying, and fasting, he uses the words, when you. Not if you, but, but when you. He already assumes, church, that we are doing these things as his followers. And so in chapter 6, verse 2, as it relates to giving, Jesus says, therefore, when you do a charitable deed. In verse 5, with regards to praying, he says, and when you pray. In verse 16, in relation to fasting, he says, moreover, when you fast. So you might just want to underline in your Bibles or highlight in your online Bibles where he uses the words, when you. And I love the way that Jesus does this. He, he bypasses if you are doing these things, and he goes straight to when you do these things. Why? Because as far as Jesus is concerned, it's not a question of if, it's about how and why you should be doing these things. In other words, church, in what way are we practicing these disciplines and, and with what motive? Because the implication here of the words by Jesus when you do these things is that these disciplines are a given. Which means that every follower of Christ should be giving, should be praying, and should be fasting with some kind of consistency as part of the practices or habits of the Christian life. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean that you must just do it as a religious duty or as some form of ritual. This is not like, okay, are you ready now? In order for you to be a really holy person, you now need to go do this, 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 and that. No. This is for the benefit of us as believers that when we practice these things, it strengthens our souls and it draws us closer to the Lord. In the book of Jude, chapter 1, verse 20, it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. And how do you build yourself up? One of the ways that we can build ourselves up in our faith is by practicing spiritual disciplines like giving, praying, and fasting. The second thing that all three of these have in common that Jesus points out is that these things should be done discreetly. And he uses the phrase in secret for each of these three disciplines. In verse 4, with regards to giving, he says, that your charitable deed may be in secret. That's the first one. He uses the same phrase in verse 6 when he talks about praying. He says, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And then also with fasting in verse 18, Jesus says, do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. Right? And church, the principle here is that when we do these things, these disciplines of giving, praying, and fasting in secret, we do them as a way of connecting with our Father in heaven. 
not as a way of drawing attention to ourselves or to somehow impress other people how super spiritual we are. So Jesus is telling us, listen, I don't want you drawing attention to yourself. I don't want you making people think that you are more spiritual than you really are. That's why he says here, for example, in regard to giving, he says that when you give, don't announce it with trumpets. In other words, don't blow your own trumpet, don't sound your own horn. Or as he says in verse 5, don't be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be seen by men. And church, as we go through these disciplines over, this, over the next couple of weeks, we need to ask ourselves these important questions in relation to these disciplines. Do we give, church, because we want people to see how generous we are? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Do we pray out loud somewhere because we want people to see how spiritual we are and how much we know about Scripture? And do we fast so that we can show people how dedicated we are and how lowly we are or how religious we are? These are the types of questions that we constantly need to be asking ourselves that we can check ourselves because Jesus wants to confront the motivation of our hearts when it comes to these spiritual disciplines. Are we doing these things unto the Lord? Or are we doing these things sometimes to impress other people? That's an important thing to remember as we are practicing these spiritual disciplines. The third thing that he says these disciplines have in common is that they will be rewarded by the Lord. He tells us in verse 4 when it comes to giving that your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Will himself reward you openly. He says the very same thing in verse 6 and in verse 18 in relation to prayer and fasting. Your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So not only does Jesus promise that there are inherent, built-in benefits to the spiritual disciplines of giving, praying, and fasting, but He says, by the way, I'm actually going to reward you in addition. And church, now that we have set the foundation for these spiritual disciplines, let's have a look at the spiritual discipline of giving. And let's pick up the reading from chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory for men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Church, did you notice what he said there? He said, take heed. He says, I'm warning you, do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. And the, again, the assumption from that statement, firstly, is that people would be doing charitable deeds. But what does he mean by that phrase? 
Well, church, the actual phrase charitable deeds are the words that are used for righteousness. If you look at other translations of the Bible, you will find the word righteousness in the place of charitable deeds. And what this basically refers to, church, is your righteous acts. Jesus is saying here, don't do your righteous acts before others to be seen by them. And I know that sounds pretty you know, straightforward on the surface, but church, I think you will agree with me. Herein lies one of the greatest challenges of the Christian life. Because every single one of us, everyone sitting in this room today and those listening online, Every one, single one of us, to some degree, when we do something spiritual, like praying or fasting or giving or serving in some capacity or even standing at this pulpit, it is almost impossible to do spiritual things in front of other people without thinking about or worrying about what their opinion is of us when we do them. And Jesus is saying, I want to deal with that insecurity in your life. He wants to deal with those thoughts of, you know what, did I sound spiritual enough as I, as I prayed in front of the congregation this morning? Or as you prayed in the, in the connect group this week? Where you start to question yourself and you say to yourself, maybe I could have used more spiritual words. Or maybe I could have used better phrasing. Or you know what, maybe I just messed it up and, and what are people going to think of me? We even say things like, you know what, I can't pray in front of people. Or I can't open the service like, like Franco did this morning. Or I can't lead some ministry because did you see how good they did it? Right? Did, have you heard how spiritual they sound and, and the vocab that they have? I can't do what they do. And what Jesus is trying to lead us away from, church, is this image that we are trying to create before people. Because if we are so concerned about the image we have lost the whole point of why we give, why we pray, and why we fast, right? And why we serve in any other capacity for that matter. To give an example, if I'm so consumed about how I pray in front of you, what I'm doing before God, and that I'm actually speaking to God, I'm more concerned about what kind of image I have in front of you. You see, too often, church, we want to do spiritual things just to cultivate an image instead of con being concerned about the reality of our spiritual life and who it is all for in the first place. Right? Sometimes we're concerned about this, this image that we have. And you know, church, the truth is we live in a society that is obsessed with image. Right? We live in a society that, that doesn't care much about what is real only about what is seen on the surface. And because this is the culture that we are exposed to day after day, you know, it's very easy for us to adopt the idea that I don't actually really have to be a disciple of Jesus. As long as I look like one on, on the outside, you know what, that's good enough. But Jesus comes along and says, let me speak to you about the heart of these spiritual disciplines. And what Jesus is saying about the heart of giving here in verse 4 is, yes, your part or part of your righteous acts is giving. Giving should be a given in the Christian life. But he says, how you give is what is important to me. That's why he says in verse 1 and 2, 
Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, listen to this, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. That means zero reward. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. That's a powerful statement right there, right? And church, what that means is that when we do our righteous deeds for the attention and the applause of men, the attention and the applause is our reward. That's all we get, right? And you may be thinking, you know what, you may say, what's the big deal? Does it really matter if I come into church with this, this big check of about six foot long or if I slip one into the offering basket? Is, that, is there a difference? I'm still giving to God, aren't I? Church, there is a difference. Because when you call attention to yourself in your giving, that's your reward. But that's where it stops. And you're still missing the point. Your giving should be unto the Lord. That's where the heart of giving should be directed towards. And, and when you do that faithfully, there is a reward waiting from your Father in heaven. And look, that should be the point. We should be wanting the high reward from our Father in heaven. Not just the, the fleeting applause of man, right? We should, we should we be, let me try that again. We should be wanting a reward system that provides eternal benefits. Right? And you see, church, Jesus is showing us a very important principle here. When your giving is aligned to a hard connection with God, when you are doing it for Him, you're not worried about the approval of man you're giving, church, then you are able to freely surrender that which you've been holding so tightly onto. And you enter a brand new and completely new and eternal reward system. And look, church, I get it. I know that as Christians, when we hear the words giving or tithing or offerings, we start to get a little bit uncomfortable in our chairs, don't we? We start to move around a bit. And we start to think, you know what, what are they wanting now? What are they wanting from me now, you know? When we start to, you know, we, we say things like, you can't draw blood from a stone. You know, I can't even put food on my own table and the church expects me to give them money. What's all that all about, you know? We say things like, you know what, I've worked very hard for what I've earned. If there is something left at the end of the month, then I will give to the work of the Lord. In other instances, our minds go to examples where we've heard of how certain ministries have sadly and wrongly led entire congregations, you know, to give based on some false prophet saying, thus says the Lord, that you must give 100% of your salary to the church this month and you will receive a hundredfold return, right, from the Lord himself. So our minds go there when we, when we hear these words. And maybe your mind is even going there today as I speak about this topic. But you know, we don't talk about this topic much in church, do we? That's not our focus. But church, something I want to settle in your heart this morning, depending on how you, you feel about giving, something I want to settle in your heart this morning, I want to say this. God doesn't need your money. God does not need your money. He can get along just fine without it. In fact, guess what? Throughout all of eternity, even before you were born, He managed without your money. 
He's run the entire universe without it, right? <laughs> the truth is, God doesn't need a cent from us. It's not like we are doing Him a, a big favor when, when we, we give. The point in giving is not that God is up there saying, Hey, Michael, check the bank balances to see if we can advance the kingdom of God this week according to plan or not. Right? God is not at the mercy of our giving. But church, He wants us to understand the kingdom principle of giving. The Apostle Paul understood this principle when he said to the church at Philippi in chapter 4, he said, It's not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Paul is saying, listen, thank you for the offer. I didn't need it, but you needed to give it. Because when you gave it, you put yourself within the framework of God's blessing. You see, church, there is a cycle of blessedness when we give. And maybe I can share a few scriptures with you to illustrate this the cycle of blessedness that I'm talking about. First of all, in, in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25, it says, The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. And the principle here, church, is that the more you give, the more you get. We don't give because we want to get, but that's the principle. You water, you get watered. In the next verse, he applies it to withholding grain. I'll paraphrase it for you. He says, if a farmer withholds a grain and never sells the grain to get the money to buy the seed to plant again, he'll starve to death. There is a cycle, right? Can I tell you what the cycle is? You sow, you grow the grain, you sell the grain, you get the money. With the money, you buy the seed, you plant the seed, you grow the grain, you sell the grain, you get the money. The cycle continues, and the whole thing depends on your faithfulness to sow the seed. Church, do you realize that a farmer takes everything that he has and throws it into the dirt, and by faith, trusts that God will give him a return? And God does give him a return, right? That's the cycle. That's the illustration. The generous soul will be made rich. Then backing up to verse 24 is the point. It says, there is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. In other words, church, as you give, God blesses. And when God blesses you out of your giving, out of his blessing, you give again. Let me say that in a bit of easier terms. I give, God blesses, out of his blessing, I give again. And the cycle of blessing goes like that. Now, church, if you step out of that cycle of blessing and you don't give, there is nothing for God to bless. There's no return, and it, it just keeps leading to poverty. And pretty soon, you're out of resources. The principle in all giving, and I'm not just talking about monetary things here, but the whole of spiritual blessedness, the principle of giving is this. You need to give because it puts you in a cycle of blessing. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 10, it says, Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord God blesses you. 
Can you pick up the cycle? Verse 17 of the same chapter says, Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. And so there is the cycle. You give, God blesses. Out of his blessing, you give again. Church, God says there's only one way to live. And that's to give. Because that puts you in the, the flow and the framework of his blessing. Let me give you a, a New Testament example. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, when it speaks about being a cheerful giver, in verse 6 it says, But this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Church, can I say investing? I mean, giving is investing with God. Giving is investing with God. And there are many, many more scriptures I could share with you this morning, but I, I think you get the point. Let me share a story with you. There's a story about this man who, who got lost in the desert one day. He got lost without any water. He got separated from, from his, uh, the group that he was with. And he was stranded in the desert. So one day passed, another day passed, day three and day four passed. And it started to get pretty serious because he needed, he needed some water. Eventually got to the point where every step that he took became more and more difficult, became more and more painful. He started hallucinating because he needed water. As he was about to give up at some point, he thought, you know what, I can't carry on anymore. As he was about to give up, he looked up and he saw an old shack in the distance. He was dying of thirst at this point and he knew that he didn't have much longer to survive, so he painfully made his way to the shack. Inside that shack was a little jar of crystal clear water lying on the floor. Flooded with relief, he walked over to the jar to, to quench his overbearing thirst. But as he reached down to pick up the jar of water, he noticed a sign. The sign said, use this water to prime the pump out back where there is more than sufficient water to drink. When you are satisfied, refill the jar and leave it for the next person who will pass this way. He found himself facing such an internal battle because he was so thirsty. And what if he followed those instructions and the pump didn't work or there was no well in the water? He had to make a decision, church, to either serve himself now or invest and take the chance that deep down there was so much more. Giving is a method of priming the pump of God's blessing in the life of a believer. You have a choice. You can take the little that God has given you now and consume it for yourself, or you can use it to prime something that's got so much more. It all boils down to whether you believe that there's something underneath the ground or not. Church. The principle is, church, you give, God blesses, out of his blessing you give again. And three quick takeaways that I want to leave with you this morning as I close. Number one, giving should be a given in the Christian life. It's not a matter of if, church, but, but how you give. Number two, the kingdom of God is about reality, not image and therefore God wants our giving to be authentic and unto him not for the applause and recognition of man 
Church, I should have no interest in building the kingdom of Ryan. I should only have interest in building the kingdom of God and His glory and His honor and His righteousness. And then finally, when we sow in this way, when we sow with this heart connected to God, and we do so faithfully, church, we enter the cycle and flow of God's blessedness. Amen. Can we receive the word this morning? Can we thank the Lord for His word today?